Welcome to Forum. Uh, we have a, uh, a guest from, uh, from Tewa um, uh, Women United, uh, and she's going to talk about the programs that they're doing there. And uh, I'll, I'll just <laughs> let our speaker introduce herself. Unsengi Tamil. Good morning, everybody. My name is Beata Sosipena. I'm from Santa Clara Pueblo, down in the valley. And uh, I work with Table Women United in Española. It's a nonprofit that um, works to uncover the strength and skills that indigenous women possess in order to become positive forces for change in their communities. And we have a lot of different program areas that um, all kind of work together to, with the vision of ending all forms of violence against women, girls, and our Mother Earth. So that's kind of the, the mission and vision of what we do with that Table Women United. I work in the Environmental Health and Justice Program. We also have a Voices Program, which addresses domestic violence, sexual assault. Um, we have the Atgeen Program, which is a culturally relevant uh, sex ed for youth, for Native youth. So they also call it the um, Body Sovereignty Healthy Sexuality Program. And then, so they've developed a curriculum that they're now implementing in school systems. Um, we also have a Circle of Grandmothers, which is like a grandmother support group. And they're a source of a lot of our traditional wisdom and knowledge and um, grounding for us as the younger women there. And um, we also have the Yavi Kagindi Community Doula Program. And the, that translates to Helper of the Mother. So we do a lot with um, bridging that awareness between um, how, we, how we come into this world all the way through to when you come to become an elder. So our programs cover that whole spectrum. Uh, we also have the, let's see, what am I forgetting? Voices, doulas, EJ. Yeah, that's about it, Circle Atgeen. So um, those are all the programs that we have. With the environmental program, we do a lot around um, different environmental issues that we face in northern New Mexico that are, you know, the kind of rough, kind of constant environmental concerns that we all share. Um, and to balance out that kind of hard ongoing work, we do a lot of community garden projects and seed saving, those kind of things. So what I want to talk to you about today is the latest project that we've been working on for about three, four years now, and it's finally coming to fruition. It's really exciting. It's called the Española Healing Foods Oasis. Um, it started out kind of, I guess, with a dream going to one of the public parks in Española with my kids and seeing this big barren slope and just like looking at it and looking at it. Um, but I guess to give you some background about myself too, <laughs> so I, I started at um, Table Women about eight years ago, nine years ago. And at that time also I was, um, I took the traditional Native American farming and agriculture permaculture design course. And uh, that was really life-changing for me as far as my um, developing my passion and pursuit for um, traditional agriculture and permaculture principles, which is basically that we need to rethink the way that we are using our resources, especially our water, um, looking at the systems that were already in place from the people that have been here since time immemorial and how they were able to sustain themselves here for that long in a sustainable way. And so this project is really a combination of that traditional agricultural knowledge with like kind of modern 
Western technology, which I really like about it. So I think it's with that combination of those two things that there's the solution lies for a lot of the issues that we face in our communities today around environmental issues. So the, if you look at the, the old gardens at a lot of the sacred sites around here, the people here started from the top of the watersheds um, and then worked their way down as far as conserving water. So if you look at some of the ancient, ancient rock gardens, they were, um, they used like pebble mulch, they had like the waffle beds, they would use the swale and berm techniques. Are you familiar with that? So, <laughs> so swales are kind of like um, little trenches dug mountainsides on contour lines. So if you look at a contour map, it's all those little lines like going down and down and they mark where the land is level. So if you plant along those contour lines, you're going to harvest any kind of rainwater that, that comes. And a berm is really just piling up rocks and sticks and dirt along those contour lines to catch that, that uh, rainfall, water harvest. So it's really good technique for um, harvesting water on a slope or any kind of landscape um, that has an incline or, or even on like a mountainside if we're talking about the old gardens. And so um, I kind of get really inspired with thinking about that ability to like grow our own food with just on our rainfall. I know I only think about that when I go to like other parts of the country where it's all green and lush and I'm all looking for their acequias and they don't have any. And, and uh, well, how do you water your corn? Like, beans? Oh. <laughs> Wish we had that. <laughs> and last year we had we did it was pretty good. But actually a lot of rain, so it was nice. So um I don't know if are any of you do you know where City Hall is in Española? Have any of you been to Valdez Park there? So it's um the slope we're working on is right behind City Hall, the big barren slope. I remember when I was a, a little kid. Um it was covered in grass. I remember like rolling down that hill. And uh and now it's just kind of barren. It has a lot of erosion problems. Um, every year they have to go and like grade it and bulldoze it um, because the rainfall just carves these big trenches through the hillside. So this project is really looking at that um, water conservation as the main principle behind it. And so if we're having it, we have an area where we'll take a public park, for instance, where we have sprinkler systems going. Um, Looking at permaculture principles is really like, how can we get multiple uses out of this resource if we're already using it? So instead of growing just plants for beautification or for soft grass, like let's also grow food. Let's also um, conserve that water so that it adds to any other long-term growth that's happening in that area. Um, a lot of times the way we treat water is by siloing it and it's for lack of a better word, imprisoning it, um, where we'll divert it off-site, put it in this like lagoon with cage and razor wire all around it um, and kind of treat it as like a waste product instead of a resource that we can all use. And a lot of, a lot of buildings and development, they don't really incorporate a lot of these kind of sustainable practices that um, we can use to de develop. Like, because any building is going to have runoff water. It's going to have um, ways that you can any kind of roof is a, a roof of a building is a watershed. 
because it can hard catch all that rainwater that's coming. Um, and then you can catch it and use it on the property around the building. So it's um, really treating that, that water as a precious resource that we need to like slow down its flow off of site and like keep it on site as much as possible, um, get it to percolate down for the things that have deep roots, and at the same time um, do all these other things that benefit us. So the, the Española Park, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of need in, our, in the city down there as far as um, beautification. We don't have a lot of tax surplus to beautify parks. So part of um, some community focus groups that we had, it's come up a lot that we need to put some attention to our parks. And um, so this project came not only from me like staring at that hillside and like <laughs> daydreaming about it for a year, but then it, um, a community group, environmental justice group that we, were, we had going um, really was like, well, let's do something in this park. We were at the time we were uh, coordinating youth events there, music events, and um, there's a skate park there, there's some baseball fields. Um, but it also has a bad reputation. One of the nicknames is Needle Park. Um, and that's really kind of a sad reality that we have to face in a lot of these areas where we have to, where there's public spaces. So the reality is I have to take my kid and I have to do a walkthrough around all the equipment, just like scan the ground and make sure it's, it's okay. And um, I really have a lot of belief in, in the beauty and healing power of plants, especially our medicinal plants. And I just think that they love us and want to be around us. And um, it's probably true, whatever you see growing around your yard, whatever you see growing in an area, those, those are the plants that you probably need, whether you need their medicine or um, they have something to, to offer. Because like, there's, a, there's a thing in permaculture that um, saying medicinal edible plant is like saying plant, plant, plant. <laughs> so every every plant has a property or some kind of helpful function or purpose, um, just like every human has a purpose. That, um <laughs> They're good for allergies <laughs> and goat and goat heads also. <laughs> And so those, the sticker plants, like if you scrape, if you're getting ready to do construction and you scrape all the plants off the top of the soil, um, the first plants that are going to come up are going to be the, the tumbleweeds, the stickers, because those act as the band-aid um, to keep things from trampling on that area so other plants can start to grow underneath. So they're actually like a protective, the sticker plants are like a protective kind of barrier to keep things from going in an area so that the other succession of plants can then, of these kind of good, nice, soft, but like herbal plants can come after that. So um, like I was saying, that hillside is bare. Um, they keep scraping all the plants off every year. Um, and actually there's a lot of already teas and stuff that was growing on that hill and I hope all the seeds are still there. But uh, our tendency in thinking of a place is like, oh, you gotta clear all the plants out first before you can build anything. <laughs> and that's that's kind of a sad kind of we need to start moving away from that kind of thinking I think because it's just like any to the basis of any kind of light garden is healthy soil 
And the only way to have that is have this, all this diverse plants and grasses, um, different layers from trees to the little smallest grass on the bottom. Um, if you get a cut on your arm, the first thing you do is, uh, you can think of that as being like dead soil. The first thing like that scab that comes is like those thicker plants that's going to protect it, and it can heal. So if you think, of, if you see a barren piece of earth, um, that's really like a raw kind of dead soil place that you need to like build up the soil first before you can have anything there. So here's the, I don't know, this is a really tiny picture, but this is kind of what the slope looks like now up here. The really huge <laughs> area. Um, and so what we're going to do is cut, in, cut into the slope and build three swales. So we'll have a swale probably going across here, another one here, another one at the bottom. So that's three layers of water catchment. Um, above that is City Hall and a parking lot. That's a watershed, even if it's an urban watershed. So any rainfall that comes, like I was, I went out there for some monsoons, and it was amazing the amount of rainwater that was rushing down that hill and just getting wasted and causing erosion. Um, so those three layers, it's like it's going to catch that rainfall on the first layer going to slow it, and then it can percolate to the following layers down on the bottom. The kind of hardier dry land plants are um, our sumac, our buffalo berries, our, uh, our sage, our lavender, the ones that do real good with kind of limited water, those will go all on the top. And then towards the bottom, it should be enough where we can do like a lot of fruit trees, more of the fruit-bearing plants, maybe need more more of those nutrients on the bottom. So this is just kind of conceptual. Here's This is kind of the bottom area where you could see where we would be able to root trees and that kind of stuff. Everything's going to be medicinal, herbal, or edible. So um, a lot of our traditional teas, but like a lot of our, our plant medicines. Um, we're also going to have some place for like vegetables. So our traditional um, foods, our, our corn, beans, squash, those amaranth. We'll also have some gardens on the bottom to, to do educational around that. Um, just a little blurb about climate change. Um, the, the way that we face, we're facing climate change impacts in northern New Mexico is through droughts in our forests. And... Uh, that puts, sets us up for a lot of wildfire threats and all those kind of things. You, you know about that here. Um, but also, like, part of our ability to adapt and live here in the face of climate change is continuing to grow out our seeds. Because the seeds are, like, because they're indigenous to this area, they need to be living and interacting with us um, in that seasonal way so that they're storing that genetic memory within them. So that each year as this, like, oh, this is crazy weather, the growing season's getting shorter, we've all, if those of you that are farmers or gardeners kind of notice these changes um, that are happening, then our seeds are able to adapt to those uh, changes also. And, um, but a lot of times we're, we're a little bit disconnected from that ancestral knowledge on how to use these plants. So if we get too accustomed to getting everything from grocery stores and that kind of stuff, then it's also going to impact our ability to adapt um, in the face of these changes. We have to be able to grow our own food. We have to be able to have 
um, herbal medicines in addition to Western medicine. Um, again, it's that at Table Women United, we have the two world butterfly harmony model of organizing. And it's if you can picture a butterfly, um, one side representing our traditional knowledge, one side represent, representing like Western European knowledge. So it's, it was kind of a way for those of us that come from two worlds, like our Tewa world and then this other world that we have to move in and out of, um, to do that without feeling so crazy about it <laughs> and having to like make that switch. So it's like we were able to move with fluidity between both places as needed. Um, and if we get kind of burnt out in the fast pace, kind of uh, modern world, we can come back to our traditional side and kind of recharge and um, get grounded and all these things elements in our teachings and then go back and do what we have to do to do all this other work. I really like that about this project also is that it's it's half that ancient style of water catchment and growing dryland farming and half drip line irrigation system right which <laughs> which is going to be good for um, when the plants which they're going to need till they get established they get big and the roots get go down a little further so this whole, um, I'm excited to say that the cities um, has been a partner in the project. They're doing a lot of the labor for their part. They don't have a lot of money for materials, which is where Table Women United's been coming in. Um, we're getting all the plant donations, a lot of the material donations from different hardware stores, those kind of things. Um, for the drip line, um, we have some friends that work with stone that are going to be donating some stone for some stairways. All these path these are going to be kind of accessible pathways also so that people can go up and down the hill and interact with the garden. Um, so the breaking ground beginning of May, just found out like two weeks ago, so I've been like three years like waiting, waiting, waiting. Then all of a sudden, okay, it's in two weeks. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Time to mobilize. So um, it's exciting, but it's really overwhelming right now. So, but it's good to come and talk about it. And um, the this is this little piece here is just kind of phase two. Phase one was the design work. We had some really amazing landscape architects, Christy Green from Santa Fe, who's done a lot of these kind of dryland landscaping, um, did the design for us. And I kind of learned that you need those kind of professional specs <laughs> before anyone takes you seriously about a project. That's that other kind of, because like I came in with my happy little DIY permaculture sketch with like markers and and they're like, uh, <laughs> how much how much water is it going to use? How much um, dirt are you going to need? Like what's the exact dimension so the backhoe can come in? So you really do need that that stuff. But um, it happened, and now we're moving forward. And um, as soon as the earthworks, which is the swales and berms, the irrigation system, we're going to have a valve box kind of up here that ties, that hooks up to a water meter that curves around the city wall. Um, and then there's going to be kind of four four zones that we can tap into for irrigation for drip line. Um, so there's room for the project to expand. This phase two is just kind of the, the main slope. This kind of area, this is the bottom of the slope up here. There's a little easement road, and then this whole project down here is a whole other phase three that will ha probably happen next year. 
Um, this is actually the most expensive part because it has really fancy drip line system that I'm not um, too familiar with, but it's a subterranean. So all the lines are going to be buried underground because that helps conserve water even further because it doesn't evaporate. Um, it stays underneath there. So there's a lot of um, combination of those things that's really going to make this sustainable. And like the city was like, well, we want to push this back. And I'm like, well, if you put this irrigation system in, that's it. Walk away. Like you don't have to, you're saving costs on coming back every year with this bulldozing and grading and everything that you have to do with that erosion. So just investing in this little part is going to even like save you money down the line, you know? Um, so there's a lot of benefits to it. I think the benefit that I'm most excited about is the community education piece. So we're going to have youth groups come. We're having community come for planting days and community education days where we're going to teach them about these dryland farm farming techniques, um, the old style of gardening within the Pueblos and all these ancient sites everywhere. Um, we're going to be teaching people about climate change adaptability, um, how to harvest water in their own spaces, um, and a little bit about even permaculture principles like companion planting. So right now we're, I don't know if I should talk about sponsorships yet, but part of the sponsorship is um, like a six-foot space that makes up a plant guild. And so what that is is all the plants, rocks, mulch, dripline, soil, everything that works together as a living system for everything to like thrive. Um, you can put, if you look out in nature, and so I'm talking about companion planting now, if you look out in nature, there's, you don't see a plant just growing by itself. It's like dirt, dirt all around it. There's all kinds of other plants in community with whatever plant is growing. And that's like people also. We need, um, we need a community to live with us and to like really thrive and healthy and fruitful. Um, so some plants maybe have deeper roots that help to break up the soil for other plants to like grow around. Maybe some plants are nitrogen fixing. So the plants that are like fruit bearing use more nutrients. Um, so you want to plant maybe nitrogen fixing plants around those that like make those little nitrogen balls on the roots. And so they provide food for the other plants. That's the, that's the idea of the Three Sisters Garden. Are you familiar with Three Sisters Gardens? Anybody not familiar? Okay. <laughs> so the Three Sisters planting is um, corns, bean, and squash. It's a traditional native way of planting. Um, a lot of the big ag kind of companies would want you to like buy into that monoculture kind of planting where it's just like mass scale, one plant, all the same height. Um, maybe even GMO modified, but come, but uh, com companion planting with three sisters actually accomplishes the same things in a sustainable, non-chemical way. So um, it doesn't require a lot of those fertilizer, chemical fertilizers, all those things. So the corn is one of those plants that grows real tall, needs a lot of nutrients. So you plant the bean when the corn's about this high, then you plant your beans um, next to the corn. And so the corn provides something for the beans to climb up. That's how it helps the beans. And the beans provide um, nitrogen for the corn to eat. The squash you plant around, and it's like a living mulch. It spreads. It's low sprawling. Um, it, compete, it keeps other competing plants from growing there. And it helps to hold that moisture in as well because um, all the leaves are so big, and it keeps it down low. 
So that's how those three um, plants benefit each other. They're also, it's also interesting that that combination, when eaten together, complies, um, provides complete nutrition for our bodies. Um, also, all three of those plants, corn beans and squash, are all three forms of pollination. So the cross-pollination, where other plants pollinate each other, the self-pollination, which beans are self-pollinating, and then insect pollination. So the squash requires like insects. Um, so again, it's like kind of a model for that diversity that we can see as like beneficial. Um, we look at what each each person has to offer, or what each plant has to offer. Um, then everything can grow basically with what's been given to us here. <laughs> You do the tractor work before you plant, so you build your rows and um, all that stuff, get the ditch ready, and then you go in with your hand tools. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a controversy around too much tractor use also because that releases a lot of carbon. Um, into like There's this whole thing with climate change, we want to reduce carbon emissions. Um, so actually, like the least you can disturb the soil when you're doing gardens, the better. Um, it'll, it, it holds in those nutrients um, more effectively. You're not releasing them or making them uh, decompose faster, so they're there for the plants. But um, yeah, you want to use probably hand tools as much as possible. A lot of people even go through it just during doing the shovel turning, like by hand, that are really hardcore about that. So um, that's a little bit about the companion planting that's going to happen here. So it's teaching people about what plants grow well together, um, how to start thinking about that, um, especially down here with like the fruit trees, because then you can get into like that kind of food forest style of layering. Um, what else are we going to be teaching about? Oh, we're going to teach about irrigation systems, about the rainwater catchment, um, all of those things that I've talked about already. So it's going to spread to the people. And then we're also going to, when the plants get bigger, there's an opportunity to do workshops around the traditional uses, as like teas and medicines, um, how to save seeds from these plants. We're also going to develop a seed library so that if anyone comes into this garden and is interested in like planting any of these things, they can we'll have seed for them. Want to do it in their own um, own yards? Everything's going to be labeled in English, Spanish, Tewa, their scientific name. So it's promoting the language learning and the traditional names of the plants in honor of the tricultural community that it's taking place in. Um, yeah, and I guess that's about what I could say. Is there any questions? We're going to probably mulch it. We're going to be mulching the heck out of it. Um, the pathways are going to all be mulched to kind of keep the weeds down. And I don't like to use the word weeds because I was just saying everything has a purpose, right? But um, <laughs> but for the sake of like not having to go in there too much, and once they get big, the weeds won't be a problem. Being small, it's gonna have to be. But the mulch also acts as that water um, conservation. Yes. Hmm. 
I've heard of that. I think we're going to have some hay bales that are down deep that might act that same kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're from here, you you know what a cactus does. It looks like, right? That's part of adapting to your environment. You gotta kind of start learning about these plants. But all the the yucca, the cact, the nopales, which have a lot of traditional uses, they're gonna be kind of more on the top, kind of not so accessible on the bottom. So it's um, they'll be not so. Um, it's not going to be like a kid can like fall down onto a cactus. They're going to be up on top. <laughs> but um, there's ways that we can kind of put little rock barriers and stuff to uh, raise awareness about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you have these plants. It's it's inviting the wildlife back in. It's inviting this relationship with plants and how we and like. So it's like, well, how do you how do you harvest nopales without getting picas all over you? Um, we'll be teaching that. <laughs> Um, nopales actually are one of the natural cures for diabetes um, and regulating blood sugar. So it's really important that we learn how to, we have that big problem in our communities also. So these are these natural foods, um, we go by that food is medicine, right? Um, it's like kind of the preventative approach to health. Can you tell us some about sort of on an organizational on the organizational side, uh, how this sort of came about within your group and how many people will be participating, what's the enthusiasm level like, some of okay. that. <laughs> so organizationally, um, I have a lot of support from TW to follow my strengths and passion, what I'm passionate about, which is really like the seed saving, the gardening, permaculture. Um, so we put together, after our community group kind of decided this is what we wanted to do, we made a proposal, presented it to city council, um, they approved it. That was back in 2012. Um, and the right people, I don't think, were in place at that time. I didn't have the professional specs for people to take me seriously. Um, so it took a couple years to really get that phase one kind of complete. Um, we started gathering community collaborators, we call them. A lot of the local organizations that work around these similar issues, so like New Mexico Seque Association, Four Bridges Permaculture Institute, Flowering Tree Permaculture Institute, Honor Our Pueblo Existence, uh, Sostenga at Northern New Mexico College. Um, who else is helping us? We have some commitments from some of the local schools that do agricultural curriculum, um, like La Tierra, Montessori. Um, there's a couple we're still going to approach because it's been a while since I talked to them about it. It can come before school's out. We also have, um, so a lot of those orgs are going to be volunteering as instructors for the community work days. Um, a lot of it's going to be word of mouth. We have a lot of papers like this with like people who want to come help when it's time to plant. So we've been getting signatures for three years that now we have to start calling people and um, have them to come together. Uh, it's been a lot of trying to secure funding and resources. But we did, we have been applying for grants like crazy um, under the umbrella of Table Women. We got a grant from the Environmental Prote Protection Agency um, because it is working on climate change adaptability and water conservation. And it's, we're educating the people about that. 
We got a grant from McCune Foundation. Um, and then we're also getting a lot of material donations from local businesses. Um, a lot of the plants kind of nurseries, plants of the Southwest is going to give us some things. So we're just really like getting donations like crazy and the community is really coming together because um, there's not much money for these kind of things in the valley. So it's, um, and it's kind of a, I'm really excited because it's starting to kind of shift that way of thinking of like governance or if like we're going to have a public park, like how can we have multiple functions within that park as an outdoor educational space? as a place where we're growing food and um, herbal medicines, as a place where we're teaching the kids about um, their agricultural heritage and seed saving, and um, relearning language around these plants. Um, I'm sure all of you have stories of your grandparents or even now that, oh, she used to make this tea for me, or um, those remedies that were kind of passed on you know, with different things. Um, we're collaborating with the Española Library to kind of have some crossover. So um, that's that. <laughs> it's been a lot of work, and it's we're finally breaking ground. So uh, we have uh, on our public existence is it's probably going to think of we're getting going to get permission to kind of film some of the old gardens. So it's more like acknowledging that this knowledge comes from. Um, native knowledge, and more kind of inviting the community from the Pueblos to come and participate. And then, but yeah, if the future, I would love to do something like this in the Pueblos also at another time. But I think the what's great about this site is it's really centrally located, and all the surrounding Pueblo communities also use that park. Kind of all the Española is kind of an anomaly because it's surrounded by native land, so it can't really expand in a way that other cities can. It kind of has to stay <laughs> a certain size. Um, and so it is important that that relationship is kind of fostered between tribes. Yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know that um, next month's Share the Plate, and John would probably announce this, but he's planning for Mexico Mission Service with the youth uh, for next Sunday. But the Share the Plate offering for May um, will go to this garden. So just wanted to let everyone know that. <laughs> so, Thank yes. You. And also a question. Um, so I direct the religious education here. And if our kid groups, youth groups, want to get involved, is that possible? Yes. Adults? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, if you want to come and sign this paper... If you want to come help for the planting days, um, this is kind of a volunteer, just your name, email, phone. Um, and then if any of you, like I was mentioning, we had sponsorships. If any of you would like to purchase a $500 sponsorship to adopt a guild, it's like a six-foot long, three-foot wide area. It'll, we're going to have some wooden plaques um, that can recognize an individual business or be in memorial of somebody. Um, so those are also what we're seeking right now. Um, I think we have about 31 of those that we are trying to fill still. We have six right now, sponsorships, um, but we have like th room for 36. So that's also what we're, um, as far as the fundraising piece, we're working on that right now. Um, so yeah, I have some papers about that if anyone's interested in sponsorship. And um, if anyone's interested in signing up to volunteer for the work days, that would be great also.
they're doing construction beginning of May, so that's going to take a couple of weeks, and so we're hoping the first planting day will be May 14th. That's tentative right now, but um, that'll probably be the first one. There'll probably be another one with just school groups um, or youth groups at the end of the month. And then there'll be probably a couple days during the summer, and we'll have some more planting days in the fall, probably on the lower part of the garden. Thank you very much, Beata. And thank you. Let's, let's thank our speaker. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you.